Hello and welcome to RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. I'm Nick, and apologies for the big delay and the gaps between episodes, but we're back. And with me, I have Evan. Evan, how are we? We we are good. Uh, we're, we're doing well. How, uh, how are you? I'm good. Rested and relaxed. Good. Good. Glad to hear Which it. Which is great. And we also have, back after a small hiatus, Jeremy. I'm here. Uh, Welcome back. You you found your way. I did. I I managed to tunnel my way out of Proposal Hell and make it back to the show. (laughs) Welcome back. Um, Well, obviously we're all relaxed. I'm sure we've all played a hell of a lot over the holidays, if we manage to have any holidays. I'm actually extremely stressed right now. Excellent. Too many games. That's your problem, isn't it, Evan? Uh, (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that. (laughs) Um, I guess usually we start with news and new games, but it seems none of us have anything worth talking about. I mean, when you think about any, it. Any last minutes? There was some fake news today where somebody posted something <laughs> about Dragon Quest Three HD Remake releasing in 2022, and then it was retracted. So Yes. I saw that. We could have talked about that. That was a roller coaster. <laughs> Uh, but aside from that, I mean, you know, right around these, uh, the holidays, really, a, a lot of people tend to quiet down and, uh, and enjoy mm. things. So it kind of makes sense that we don't have all that much to talk about uh, this week. I think we'll probably, hopefully, have more to talk about in the coming weeks. I, I would hope that some news or newsworthy stuff uh, would start to ramp up. Yeah, I think the, the outlook for the next few months is bright on the RPG front. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I guess one one quick bit of news that came out yesterday was about E3. Um, they are doing an online-only event again this year. This is true, which doesn't surprise me. No. I, it'll be interesting when they do go back to sort of what... Because before they, you know, before COVID struck, I think they were really looking at changing everything. I remember there was the big marketing leak about all their influencer stuff they wanted to do. and Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised, in all honesty, if E3 never looks the way it used to again um yeah. you know I'm, I'm not sure if they go more of an influencer sort of route but uh i mean a lot of the people who are covering certain genres of games right are are doing that well enough on their own channels what be it uh, twitch or, or youtube or what have you so you know I, if they could maybe compartmentalize that stuff and maybe send it out to specific people but uh, again i think that Part of the joy of, of E3 is seeing a conference in its entirety. I, I, I think that's the thing, E3. It's just the excitement of the event. It's it's E3. It's just all the chaos. Yeah, from an from an industry perspective, like the people who work in the games industry, like really like E3 because it's a chance to network and meet people and pitch ideas and like putting aside exactly. all of the crowds of people trying out demos of your new games it's good from a business standpoint so I feel like at some point uh, when whenever this madness is at over they will bring it back in some form in person even if it's back to that wild idea they had previously where they cut off the public show and then had that what was the name of the uh, <laughs> the alternate show they had Oh gosh, I they did it like two years uh, I, I totally get that perspective of things as well. Uh, but but I also do think that, you know, all things considered, you do have events like Game Developers Conference uh, that, mm. that can kind of serve that purpose as well. Although, obviously, that's not as much of a, a media hype train, right? Um, and, and there is something to be said about the, the media coverage that 
all of these publishers get when they when they bring things to E3 that you don't really you you just don't get in any other sort of context. Like I, I wish personally that something like uh, Penny Arcade Expo was was more of like a media event, but I think it yeah. E three is is so reliably situated in June, right? I, uh, yeah, I was about to say because you've got then the perfect storm of what three four months until the big hitters come out, so you do get the final leaks, you know, or things that are you know a year and a bit away. Because like on packs, so we have packs here in Australia in Melbourne, but that is in October. Right. Anytime I've gone, you know, there'll be things there that I'm excited to see, but they come out in like a week or they came out last week. Yeah, yeah, and it's so it's it's can sometimes just be oh, I line up like I remember lining up to play, I think it was would have been Xenoblade Chronicles X, really, but it was coming out in like two w- weeks or something like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember too uh, going back to gosh, I think it was E, uh, no, not E3, um, New York Comic Con 2010, mm. uh, and getting to play like Sonic Colors and skyward sword two games that were actually released just this past year i know the wait was crazy (laughs) yeah getting my my hands on on those for the first time and and being someone who wasn't really involved uh in in press at that point that was a a really neat thing but that's a Mm. that's a rarity for a, a more casual person to even be able to have that experience which is why again i go back to the wii u era there was that one year that Nintendo had a, a whole bunch of indie developers release demos during E3 of their work, mm. and that was so cool. But I understand that that takes a huge amount of planning, especially even just to craft a demo. That uh, yeah, and I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> well, it, it it says a lot that they haven't done that since, because I'm yeah. sure it was a nightmare. But I don't think we need to talk about news that doesn't no, exist. We'll, we'll, <laughs> right? we'll, we'll, we'll get to E3 in six months' time, sure. so that's all good. Sure. Um, I guess we should crack on then and move on to what we've been playing. Now, I don't know, Evan, Jeremy, did you guys get any time off over the holidays? Did you sink some hours in? Yeah, sure did. Uh, how about you, Jeremy? Uh, my time off was largely committed to family obligations, so I had my regular amount of gaming time. <laughs> I, we had a, a nice forced two-week leave from work, so uh, plenty of gaming time. Oh, forced. Good. Wow. I was lucky to have a week off. <laughs> no, well, this, our, our leave system works differently to you guys. So we, um, quick side story, each year we get 20 days of leave plus the public holidays and our leave, if we don't use those 20 days, just add on to next year. So, of course, if I don't take leave, then next year I've got 40 days. But businesses will then go, oh, no, I want you to take some time. So they just like shut the office. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that doesn't, that shouldn't technically count. No, you'd think not, but it does. I want to, I want to bank those 60 days so that I can, uh, I, that I can blow through Zelda, I, the sequel yeah, to Breath I've of known, the Wild. I've known so, some people will build up like, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 10 weeks worth of leave just sitting there uh, um you just go on you know, holiday. if you're in a critical role you just can't go yeah um but yeah but no anyway evan what have you been playing well you know i did have more time off and you would think that as someone who writes about rpgs and someone who uh who has a podcast about rpgs i would spend a whole lot of time playing rpgs 
But no, that's not the case. And even though it's not one of the games that I wanted to talk about this week, I'm just going to very briefly talk about uh, Picross, which has consumed my life. I I don't see things uh, in the normal way anymore. I see them as pixels to be filled in. Uh, it is terrible, and I love it. Uh, Picross is, is fascinating to me, but I have spent way more time on Picross than I would like to admit. And it's cut into a lot of games that I've really wanted to pick up. But uh, I guess I'll start with talking about a game that I was really excited to play uh, ever since I, I kind of heard some favorable comparisons to Metroidvanias and the the uh, the legendary Dark Souls. Uh, and this game is Dark Siders 3. Uh, so have either of you, uh, do you have any familiarity with this uh, series or, or with this game in particular? By reputation only. I've I've played Darksiders 1 and 2. I think 1 or 2 came out on the Wii U. Um, pretty much because at the time they were being spruiked as a Zelda-like. That That is correct. And actually both 1 and 2 came out on the Wii U. And there I, you go. they've since been ported to a whole bunch of stuff. But... My first introduction to Darksiders was uh, Darksiders 2 on the Wii U. And I remember walking away from that game with really favorable impressions. And, uh, you know, again, to, to Nick's point, it was considered a Zelda-like. And at the time, I guess I, I could see it. Yeah, I, I really couldn't see it. And that's why I kind of walked away going, I don't know what everyone's smoking. But... <laughs> Well, it, it very clearly has this more uh, Western sort of combat system. Or I guess I should say a, a more Western sort of uh, like action-adventure combat system. It's, it's weird because the way that combos and combat in Darksiders games work is they have a delay-based combo system. So you can mash your button, right? And that will perform a very specific sort of, uh, of attack combo. But sometimes if you mash your button and then you kind of wait in between uh, one input and the next one, it'll actually change your attack animation and its effects into something completely different, which I think is a really neat sort of, uh, of way of teaching the player that mash to win isn't always the best option. But at the same time, mash to win is is also always really good in these games too uh but i could kind of see the zelda comparison when i go back to or when we talk you know about zelda which we shouldn't mm. right because this podcast is about rpgs but uh when we do talk about zelda we we talk about how it's it's a great foundation for a whole lot of other uh sorts of systems right games like Trigger Witch uh, or even Moonlighter kind of take the the basic elements of Zelda and they add an additional fold onto it. And I think that what Darksiders does, or at least the first two, uh, was they took the sort of dungeon and overworld sort of system of Zelda and they layered a little bit, I don't want to say a, like very nuanced combat, but a little bit more nuanced combat on top of it. But what I should say is Darksiders 3 is not like Darksiders 1 or 2 um, in that way. 
because combat is a lot more methodical, uh, the the combat animations are a whole lot weightier, and you also mm. uh, you in terms of perspective, the other games were a little bit more uh, the the camera the 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 sort of basic camera angle was a little bit more pulled out, but this one is a little bit more intimate and slow moving, and the sorts of scenarios you're getting into are are a lot smaller in scale. So like one of the the standout moments of Darksiders 2 for me was one of the first bosses you fight is like a shadow of the Colossus sized uh, creature that you're kind of like grappling um, uh, across and, and stabbing in multiple different places. Uh, and Darksiders 3 starts with you like climbing the floors of a building in order to slap mm. a, uh, a a boss enemy uh, in the face so and and when i say like climbing the floors of a building the the enemy you're fighting isn't on the outside of the building they're just kind of like on one of the floors so <laughs> it's it's a little bit more small scale but uh i like it i'm actually really liking it a whole lot and one of the reasons i like it so much is the protagonist uh is fury fury uh, who is uh, a female uh, and is different from the the previous two protagonists, War and Death. She's definitely got a little bit of snark to her, but it's more of like a an attitude, like a, a kid who's got something to prove rather mm. than just being like the de facto badass. Um, and so it's kind of endearing in that way. She's she's uh, she's scrappy, which is neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, do we have any fans of souls like gameplay here, uh, who might, I, I would say that this is like a, a good blend between uh, a more like 3d Metroidvania and, and souls like in that the role-playing elements aren't, they're, they're not huge, I, I guess it's, it's a little bit more streamlined and straightforward, uh, than, than usual, uh, than Dark Souls usually is, I should say. But anybody here have any interest based on, on what I'm saying? I mean, it certainly sounds fun. I, I've never actually played a Dark Souls game, so when people say, oh, it's Souls-like, I'm like, yes, that <laughs> game that they mention in every podcast. I, I'm a bit the same, Jeremy. So, ah, so it's a, it's a hard game, is it? Interesting. Yes, hard. Yeah. Good work game. Well, yeah, that's that's, that's definitely something... That's a that's a worthwhile, you know, com- component of this is yep. the I, I would say the the combat in this is a lot more punishing than what you might be used to, especially even from playing Dark Siders one and two, um, even like a Zelda game. This is is more punishing. Maybe not more than Breath of the Wild, but I think that's just because there's more stuff going on in Breath of the yep. Wild. But yeah, this this game it's. It's a lot more intimate in scale. And if you don't like the stress that comes with like dealing with multiple enemies in small spaces, then you probably won't enjoy this game. Uh, but I, I, I tend to think that that's what you need to be into if you ever want to try out a Souls-like game, period. Yeah. So based on that, we're, we're, not, we're not thinking this is, this is for us. <laughs> I think my my first Souls game will probably be next year with Elden Ring. I think I'll give that a go. Isn't that um, isn't that this year? 
this year. Yeah, shit, it's a new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, that's good. I then how about um, we Jeremy? Do you want to fill us in on something? <laughs> Tell uh, us something. Yeah. What have you been playing? Oh man. Uh, so I have made a childhood dream come true recently. Uh, so when I was a kid, I was introduced to RPGs through the Dragon Warrior series on the NES, and then we ended up picking up a copy of Final Fantasy VI for the Super NES, and I just completely fell in love with the genre. Uh, I learned that a game called Final Fantasy Legend existed and was on the Game Boy and could never get my hands on it. So fast forward to this Christmas season, I find myself in possession of some cash, and all three Final Fantasy Legend games are available through the collection of Saga. I picked it up, and I am so, so salty that my childhood self never got this game, because I love it. Um, for those of you who have not played Final Fantasy Legend, uh, or who are unaware of its history, this is actually the first game of the Saga franchise. When they brought it over to America, they said, well, we'll just slap Final Fantasy's name on it, and it'll sell better. Uh, which apparently worked because three games came over. Uh, it's actually the Saga franchise was founded, started by the director of Final Fantasy II, and he had a lot of uh, very interesting gameplay mechanics he wanted to experiment with, so he got his own series to play with that, which also has obviously been very successful as the series continues on to this day. Uh, but the big twist in Final Fantasy Legend compared to uh, traditional JRPGs of the time is that uh, when you make your party at the beginning of the game, uh, you have three different races to choose from. Uh, you have humans, mutants, and monsters, and none of them level up the way any other standard JRPG works. The humans uh, do not gain any experience or power-ups from battle. Uh, all you can do is buy stat-boosting items and slap a bunch of equipment on them and let them beat things with a hammer. Uh, the mutants uh, will level up based on what stats they're using in battle. So if you give them a weapon that relies on strength, every time they use that weapon, their strength may or may not go up by a random number. If you give them a weapon that uses agility, their agility may or may not go up. If they use a magic ability, their magic points may or may not go up. Every time they take a hit, their HP maximum may or may not go up. Um, so... That's wild, and I love it. Um, and the mutants also will randomly learn and unlearn abilities uh, every battle. So you fight a battle. At the very beginning of the game, you have no abilities, and within a few battles, you have some random ability that you have no idea what it does. All you can do is cast it and see what happens. And then every couple of battles, you know, a few of their abilities may rotate, which I also love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the trade-off there is that they have less equipment slots, um, so they can't equip as much weapons and armor as a human can. Hmm. And then the last race you can have is a monster, which is literally a monster that you would fight from the game. All the monsters in the game you can have yep. in your party. Uh, you start out with a monster, and as you fight battles, every now and then a monster will drop some meat. And if your monster eats the meat of some other monster, there's a random chance that they will transform into a different monster. And there's a whole table that you can find online that says, if you eat this, you're most likely to turn into this. But it feels very random when you're playing the game. But if you eat the, the meat of a higher-level monster, you're more likely to evolve into a higher-level monster. And that's the only way they grow. So 
Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so would, back... would, would, chi- would childhood Jeremy <laughs> oh have understood gosh. what was going His on? His head here? would have exploded. <laughs> I would have loved this game as a kid. I would have had so much replay value. Oh my gosh! I'm like I'm so mad that I'm only playing it now as an adult when my gaming time is so yep. limited. Uh, but anyways, I'm loving it. I'm very close to the end. Um, the other great thing about it is what I love about all very well-made Game Boy games is that it perfectly translates a genre experience into a, that handheld that you may only have a few minutes, and it just breaks the whole thing into bite-sized chunks. So there's – the story of the game is you're climbing a tower trying to reach paradise, and on various floors you'll be transported to some, like, a miniature world map where you run a miniature story, and then you keep going up the tower. So there's four main worlds to do, and then, like, a final boss challenge that I haven't gotten to yet. And then, but in between that, you're climbing t- floors of the tower, and you find other random little miniature worlds. And like, this isn't a major spoiler, but like, between the bottom floor and the next major world you go to, there's like a place that's very much looks like hell, and a place that very much looks like heaven. <laughs> so it's this really trippy story. I just I love it, and I'm sad for my younger self. Yeah, and just to to jump off of this, I mean, first off, you're not the first person that I have heard wax nostalgic. I mean, it's not even nostalgia uh, for for you, but just sing the praises of this game in particular. So I don't know why I haven't uh, picked this up yet, but I definitely do want to. Um, but to to go back to your point about great Game Boy games com- compressing uh, a gameplay mm. experience into that. I-, I mean, that that's where some of like my most fond memories come from. Dragon, I guess it was Dragon Warriors back then, but we can call it Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest Monsters 2 has a very similar sort of setup where like you are going to bite-sized RPG worlds that are themed like a, a desert or a medieval uh, sort of world and and kind of going through these these bite-sized little stories in order to progress this main narrative i love that sort of stuff and man if i had the money and the time i would get one of those new analog pockets just so i could play one of these game boy games again but you can also do this on the switch too which i think is a great thing it's just there are some games yeah and i, I i've 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 looked at this guy. I'll, I'll admit I'm completely confused by the whole saga franchise. I don't. You're you're understand. not alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I have romancing saga two or three. There were the ones that came out like a year or two ago. Yeah, romancing saga one hasn't come out or something. And then I tried to connect the dots to see where I should start, and I just yeah I've got them parked in a cupboard somewhere because. They're on my to-do list, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, that what the tough thing there is to do. The tough thing about Saga is there's like multiple good entry points, and I actually hear a lot of yeah. people say that Final Fantasy Legend is a good entry point into Saga gameplay. Um, but the funny thing about Saga is that it's kind of just a nebulous uh, series in a lot of ways itself. It doesn't tell you a whole uh- lot. Of what you're yeah, is there to... is there any on ongoing or is it you know is it all separate standalone adventures? Like I haven't even ever really sort of looked into it to that level. Uh, not that I know of, um, and this is coming from someone who's only like I've only dipped my toes in the saga pool. Yep. Um, Jeremy, do you have any uh, 
any thoughts or, or experience? No, this is my first true Saga game. Um, I remember also when I was young, uh, staring wistfully at Saga Frontier and never getting it. I also bought that with some Christmas money, so that's going to be on my list. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as I know for the series, um, they're more mechanically related than they are story-related. Okay. For sure. Um, and I will say great Saga starting points. I, I hear romancing saga 3 is a good one i hear final fantasy legend i've heard some people say saga frontier is good but it might not be good as a starting point but my entry point into saga gameplay was the legend of legacy on 3ds and the alliance alive which is on 3ds but also on switch um the alliance Alive is one of my favorite uh more modern rpgs so it might be again like this sort of idea of picking up these new combat systems because it, systemically these games are very different from uh from a lot of other rpgs um, yeah and, and i guess if they are quite mechanical you might some quality of life features added throughout time that might just make it easier to jump in for the first time yeah potentially although i think one of the more recent saga games was scarlet grace which i actually picked up and tried to get into over this break and uh well, it's not on my now playing list, so that should tell you something. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts, Jeremy? Uh, no, I think we've covered uh, everything I wanted to say about Final Fantasy Legend. We can keep things moving. All right, uh, Nick. Excellent. What do you What do you want to? Yeah, share? I I've been playing. I sort of spent the two weeks and I sort of went through a backlog through the year of you know games that had come out and people had raved on about. Um, so one of those games I picked up was Loop Hero. Um, which I'll spruik was on Game Pass, so I didn't really pick it up. No, actually, it was the free Epic game um, over Christmas, so that's great. All these great games that you don't actually have to pay for. Um, I sometimes feel bad about that, but, you know, oh well. I, I only um, feel yeah, bad no, Luke... about it. I only feel bad about it when it's, like, so good that I wish I'd paid for it. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I re- so a good friend of mine, he said Loop Hero it was his number one game of the year. Um, it's, it's not mine. It's not, you know, if I were to make a top 10 list, it's probably not made that, but I did enjoy myself. It was sort of just a, a couple of days there where I picked up loop here. And for those that haven't seen it, you're effectively, you have a, it's a, it's a top down, you know, old eight bit graphics. If you were even probably four bit, we'll call it, um, where you've basically got a loop of track and you've got a little stick figure that walks around that track. Um, now over time you collect cards and say a card might be for a spawning point, you put that down on the track, that spawning point will summon a skeleton every two or three loops you go around the track. You then beat that skeleton, you then get more cards that then you can put down to earn resources. So it really much is a loop um, in your, you know, beating enemies, collecting cards, putting down more cards to summon more enemies, but also beating more enemies gives you more resources that you collect up. Um, and the reason for that is you collect these, you do the loop until you basically realize I'm going to die. And if you die, you lose 60% of what you've collected in that loop and you retreat from your loop and you go back to the town square and in your town square, you can then build buildings and you've got sort of a, a skill tree of buildings, like, you know, a kitchen, uh, uh, just a, a smithy to build new weapons, to build new resources and things like that so that you can increase your characters and then go back into the loop and do it all again. Um, so it is roguelike in that um, regard, um, but you're you're not effectively controlling your character at all. He just runs around the loop 
and you're putting down cards, collecting resources, and going back in it again. Um, it's very much like a, a clicker game, if you've ever played of those, sort of a clicker hero type scenario, um, but a bit more involved. Um, and really enjoyed myself. I, I hit the classic clicker roadblock of, you know, I need to actually put in some hard work here and, and get over this roadblock, and I think that's where I've stopped. So I beat the beat the first world, unlocked a couple of new characters, and started playing around with those guys. And they all play quite differently, which is nice. So there's some different game mechanics depending on the character you're selecting. Um, you know, with regards to how they how you equip items, how they attack, how they defend, that kind of stuff. Um, but no, it's it's quite good. And I know Evan, I think you you mentioned last year you did you did want to at some point have a look into Lupiro. Don't know if you ever managed to over the over the break. I did not, and you know, again. I'm not sure if you would equate this game to, or, or I'm not sure if you would call this a waiting game, so to speak, because, uh, you know, there there is some stuff that does need to unfold in each loop, right? But uh, I had mentioned bouncing off of a game uh, called Cultist Simulator, which really was, was very much yes. about yep. putting cards down and waiting for their effects to, to run yep. out. And that's those sorts of games where you're kind of waiting for things to happen <laughs> they they don't sit yeah. right with me all that well so yeah uh yeah and, and by waiting it's it's very condensed like you're not sitting and waiting for a couple of days like you might with a clicker like i would set up a couple of loops and just go all right i need to farm out some resource now and i'd just leave it going for a little bit knowing that my health is regenerating at a rate that's not going to deteriorate based on the enemies that are spawning so i can leave it while i go and eat lunch yeah i i Um, I get that and i also think that there's like a very delicate balance that these games need to play with how long of a wait that you have and uh if you're going to have a speed up function does that speed up function make it hard to perform the things that you actually want to do right which the so the, the speed up function in this game was actually really nice so you had two speed ups you had the character in the loop so you could speed your you know on the spawns of the loop and as well your battle speed ups okay so I, I i tended to keep the battle speed up low and then when i'd jump into a battle i'd sort of use that time to reflect and look at the cards i'd accrued and work out my plan all right and where you're in the battle you can simply hit the pause button so when the battle ends the game pauses immediately, lay out your cards, uh, update your board, um, and then hit resume. Yeah. Um, so it was very good with regards to letting you stop and flow at your own pace. That sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, but no, it was good. I um, definitely, you know, I think it's out on the Switch, it's out on Xbox. I, it, it really is one to, to play on the PC, um, you know, just dragging the cards. Sometimes you've got to drag them out there quickly. Um, you know, you can pause, but sometimes you just want to, between battles just get things out there moving um especially if you're having to go back to an old loop maybe to collect some resource and you kind of just want to pump through it quite quickly yeah that was another thing too with cultist simulator that i found was rough because i played that on the switch and i was like yeah i would have liked this a whole lot more if i was putting the actual cards on the board yeah 100 percent. and that that's definitely why when i saw it was there on game pass i went yeah, all right this is all i'll use the pc for this <laughs> um which is really kind of why i stopped because i went away um, for a, for a week or so over Christmas and, and didn't take my computer with me. Um, so yeah. And then sort of just haven't thought to get back to it. Okay. Um, yeah. Evan, anything else? Yeah. I mean, I just want to touch on unsighted really quickly. Uh, this is a game that 
before it had come out, I had been really curious about, just because I'd been following some of the animation and the art design that had gone into it. Uh, this is a gorgeous looking game and goes back to, again, something we talked about uh, in our last episode, which is mm. art styles that appeal to me, borderless uh, pixel art. Right. Right? I, I'm just looking at this, that was my first thought of like, oh, it's an Evan game. Yep. Um, <laughs> but this is a great game in so many more ways than just art style. Uh, this mm. is a Metroidvania. You could say it's a little bit Souls-like as well. Um, although uh, I, I think it's it, it's got more DNA uh, in common with Zelda because you can kind of use items in, in really neat and cool ways to, uh, you can use items to sequence break uh, certain areas as well. Um, there's there's so much great that, that can be said about Unsighted and one of the the things that I think the uh, unfortunately the game kind of does a disservice um, to itself with is that one of the caveats of this game is every single NPC that you interact with is on a timer, uh, which means they have a certain amount of battery power before they go from being a friendly NPC that you can like let's say complete a quest for or buy things from because even the merchants are on mm -hmm. these timers uh then they once those timers run out they become enemies and so there's obviously this element of like pressure to this game where you're trying to do things as efficiently as you possibly can um but I want to say it right now uh, on this podcast, and I'm not sure how many people are actually listening to this, but I know you two are. Uh, you can actually <laughs> turn that feature off so you can play this game as a much more straightforward action RPG sort of experience and really get to appreciate talking to these characters and, and benefiting from their abilities. Um, yeah. But another really cool thing about this game, too, is that there are some NPCs that you can harvest time from in order to give to other NPCs. So, uh, you know, when we think about choice in video games, like this is the kind of choice that I'm always pining for. Uh, and and now that I finally have it, in some ways, it's a little bit daunting because my choices really do matter. Um, but I think that also makes for a really fantastic game. And it's honestly, if I if I played it earlier in 2021, it would probably be one of my games of the year. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, nice. I can't I can't say that uh, right it, now. Is the 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 timer you spoke about earlier? Just curious, is that based on sort of you know getting to these world zones, or is it is it game timer based? I believe, uh, and, and that's. I'm not actually sure about that, but I do know that when you start the game, there's a little bit of a tutorial section where all of these timers don't really factor into things all that much. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I, I wouldn't be confident in saying whether or not uh, the timers yeah. start when you first talk to them uh, or, or not. But um, I do know that you can get to a zone and meet a character who's already turned because you haven't gotten there yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a that's a, an interesting mechanic. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's yeah. there's so much cool stuff about this game. <laughs> it's I, I I can't do it justice in any amount of time, so I'm just not gonna. <laughs> Fair enough. Sounds like you guys are giving me stuff to add to my wish list over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and Jeremy, uh, I believe uh, you you treated the kids over Christmas. 
I did. Well, I've been treating them in general on the weekends. So my kids are young. They're two and four. So they're not playing games yet, but they like to watch me. And since they very well can't watch me, you know, slay demons, uh, we've been playing through like the whole Super Mario series starting from the original Super Mario Brothers and working our way up. Uh, so we got to Yoshi's Island and the kids like fell in love with Yoshi. And so when I was done, I was like, okay, well, do you guys want to watch me play Super Mario 64 or do you want me to watch me play Yoshi's Story? And unequivocally, the answer was Yoshi's Story. Uh, so we're playing smart that kids. on my Switch on NSO. Yes, smart kids. Um, I played Yoshi's Story back in the day. I was probably like a preteen when it came out. I have to go back and look when the release date was. Uh, I loved it back then. I didn't understand why people didn't. Uh, and my kids love it. Um, I think they like it more than they like Yoshi's Island, and I may agree with them. I know, blasphemy. Um, there's just something very streamlined about Yoshi's Story. Uh, it's shorter. You have the, you know, go for another run, see if you can get a higher score, see what levels you get this time around. Some exploration yeah. elements. It's just a nice... And, and I think just, just the, the, the storybook aesthetic as well, yes. the way they present it is, is nice and yes, charming. Yes, it's adorable. Um, um, so yeah, it's just been good times with the boys. They get very excited when we sit down and they're like, Yoshi, 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 Yoshi. And I'm like, yeah. So. And do you have to tell them when they want to collect the fruit? No, we can't. We need to collect all the melons first and then loop around and connect, collect all the favorite fruits. Uh, I'm not going that, no, that far yet. No, I'll save that for, <laughs> for next time. I will occasionally pause and be like, boys, if you want to see a new level on the next page, we need to not get any more fruit and I have to find the next heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that's, that's the frustrating uh, element of games discourse and even some media coverage too, is that, you know, sometimes a short game, a more concise sort of experience kind of gets ragged on for that reason. Um, and I think that's, that really is a shame um, because I, I remember so many people just commenting on, on this game in particular being like, well, you, you just finish it too fast. And <laughs> I mean, replayability, I think replay, replayability is, is hugely important. So it is. Um, I think it's it's great that you're able to come back yeah, and, and enjoy I think because you've certainly you've got games from like you know up till the mid to late 90s that are still focused on the arcade style of high scores and repetitiveness like you look at something like Sonic the Hedgehog 2 you could, you know even as a kid you can finish that game in like an hour <laughs> it's not a long game but it's the type of game like this where you just go back you play the levels again and especially here you know once you start unlocking the the bonus characters you know the different colored yoshis um it, it just it there's just enough there that it's just fun and that's what it is it's a fun game it doesn't need to be an amazing game it's a fun game yeah well i i often come back to uh arcade style experiences and kind of rediscover what i what i love about them uh one of my favorite platformers is the well i would actually say mighty switch force 2 um which is i think the second of a trilogy uh, i think you can get all three of them on switch right now uh, as a compilation but that game is a puzzle platformer that you know like once you beat all the levels and you and you beat all the the time uh constraints for that there's nothing really else to do but uh it's it's just being able to get really good at the the sort of puzzle design and platforming design is rewarding enough in its in its own right that by the end of that experience i was like you know what i'm okay with this 
exactly right. I guess on to my second game to discuss. I, like I said, went back through the backlog of the year, a couple of RPGs, smaller ones that I thought might just be worth dabbling in over the holidays, especially having the Switch on me. So I picked up Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars. Um, and I know, Evan, you played the demo yeah, well, back when it, when it first came out. What I will say is I think it was right before the holidays or at least while the sale for this game, a very small yep. sale, mind you, but there was a sale for this game. And while that was going on, they announced that they had added a fast mode to this game. Oh, man. I know. Ah. <laughs> it goes back on the wish list. Yeah, I... Was there? I know there was something in the options. I don't think I ever turned it on though, because I didn't really find too many issues with the pace. Wow. Well, that um, you're you're a stronger <laughs> man than I. In fact, I kind of found it a bit glaring because when you're moving your little chess piece along the cards, he kind of moves way too quickly. Uh yeah. Um, I found the control for that to be a little wonky. Yeah. Um, and once I got into it, I really just started using the right stick and just jumping ahead, you know, to the end of my reign and sort of just skipping to where I needed to be as opposed to moving card to card. Um, which, in, you know, when you're exploring new areas was sort of card to card, but you could move diagonally that way. Um, but no, I'm, you know, I haven't quite finished it, but I'm probably not going to bring it up again. I'm on my way to the final boss. I'm about 12, 13 hours in at the moment. Um, I, I've just enjoyed it. It's been a nice little you know, change of pace, just walk around. Um, I'm enjoying the artwork, the music, sort of the characters. It's, it's all fairly simple. It's like that other game Square put out last year. What was that? Dungeon something? Dungeon something Counters. You mentioned. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a bare bones uh, mechanic game, essentially. It's it's a turn-based RPG mechanic display. Um, but, you know, you're, you're walking along, you're flipping the cards. It's nice. Once you've done two or three towns, all the character artwork is pretty much the same. You know, it's the same person running the shop in each town. It's the same crotchety old lady that's there. You know, she talks about different things, but it's the exact same artwork. Yeah, but um, that being said, yeah. I would say I think the character portraits in this game are really nice. They, they are. And it is not, once you start to speak to them enough after a certain number of times, you unlock a bit more flavor text about the character's background. So, you know, you've got to make sure you've you've met all the variants of said character through the game, then you unlock a bit of their backstory. You know, it's only two or three sentences, um, but it's just a nice little story of, you know, oh, this person always likes to make sure they go down to the markets and buy flowers because they like flowers. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's been nice. It's a, it's a simple story. Hey, can you go and kill the dragon? Okay, let's go and kill the dragon. Um, but then, of course, you face... You know, start to unravel why are we killing the dragon? What's going on? Um, there's a bit of a mystery in the world there going on. Um, I think you have to kill the no, dragon because it roars, right? It, it, exactly. But spoilers, he flies to a different island. Oh. It's not really a spoiler. It, it happens fairly early on. I mean, it's not a long game. Uh, then you have another island to explore to find the dragon. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's, if you're, Hey, I'd say if you rolled the 20 hour under quest on the board and you hadn't played uh, West of Loathing, Jeremy, I'd say whack it in, give it a go. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it, it's a bit like Loop Hero. It's just nice. There's, there's nothing there's nothing great there. I think it's an interesting concept. 
it actually makes me want to sit down and have a deck game in real life that could play like this um you know there's a few board games out there one i can't remember the name it might be zombies or something where you're effectively um, escaping from zombies in a town and you're laying down city tiles as you explore to try and escape through the city um so you know it's a similar concept to that which is quite nice um but no yeah nothing nothing too grand but I, I i'm glad i played it glad i ticked it off the list i will definitely go back and um finish it but i've currently been all consumed by a game that i'll talk about hopefully next week or the week after the great ace attorney which is currently consuming my life um so we'll, we'll come back to that at another point yeah the the only thing i want to add about uh, voice of cards is i'm really curious to see what Square Enix's plan is with this. I mean, I, I get that it is a smaller release from them and yep. they value what they put out into the world, which is why it is $30. Um, you know, this this kind of does give me uh, feelings similar to Tokyo RPG Factory's uh, works, which kind of sat at that $40 price yeah. point. I, I, I would love to see something more come out of this. Um, you know, either maybe different stories in a different narrative, a different time frame, right? but using the same mechanic. Because I, I, I enjoyed the mechanic. It's nice, it's clean, it's simple. Um, the battle the battle system is quite decent as well. I don't know if you recall from the demo, you know, you can, you chew up gems, you can, um, you know, not attack to get more gems similar to sort of your bravely default type systems where you're accruing you know spending and and loaning points on future attacks um so you know you you make your little deck of four cards for each character as well and you can say or you know you might have all your best attacks are all three or four gems but if every character has three or four gems you're never going to get an attack off right so you you know put in a couple of low attacks maybe you've got you know some hey do damage to all parties you know it, it, there's just there's some good variety there into how you play and all the different character types i think i've got seven or eight characters at the moment you've got mages you've got you know um all your archetypes rogues um it's yeah no, there, there's some good mechanics there and I think they've got enough that they could certainly build on if they wanted to make something a bit bigger, but there's probably just a few quality of life things to tidy up. Yeah. And the title itself, you know, I think if you, if, yeah, tidy the title, well, tidy that up. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, but also, I mean, the, the title itself also implies that maybe we see voice of cards, the blah, 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 blah instead. And I think like an expansion sort of uh, idea to this series, maybe yes. DLC yep. in, in some way. That might be, and and it's interesting. There there was DLC for different card artwork. Yeah, and I looked at it, and I'm like, I really don't care enough to see a different picture of my main character <laughs> because it's my main character. What you know, me changing what he looks like is just changing who the main character is effectively, and it just seems ridiculous. Um, yeah, that the yeah. DLC for this was really questionable, but uh, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it and get your your sentiments. Uh, reflect what i've heard from other people it is a nice short experience and so. yeah and i think that's that's what i was looking for you know i took it with me um just played it sort of a couple of days surrounding christmas while i was out of town and it it, it did what it needed to do good game to just play in bed on the switch too it's not too heavy nice um yeah that was good well uh anything else that anybody wants to just mention before we get into our quests i mean uh nick and i did have in our notes that we i was gonna say i we have to i want to let's do it <laughs> okay 
Uh, well, uh, my partner and I bonded uh, early on in our relationship over Mario Party. I had Mario Party 2 on my Wii U, and we played through uh, a couple of matches of that, and she was like, man, uh, I, you know, and I, I too felt like, especially yep. in this pandemic, right? We'd love to be able to play with more than just two people. And Mario Party Superstars is the answer to that. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, this is my this is the first Mario Party I've ever bought for myself. I'm pretty sure I've always played Mario Parties uh, at other people's houses. Uh, uh, and also, I think you've actually bought a cracker. Like, this is... This is a great Mario. Oh, party. it's so good. <laughs> it, it, it it really is, and just just down to the little things, like if you know, if like Evan, you've only played the GameCube, the sixty four ones, just going into selecting a board and then going, hey, do you just want to play the GameCube mini games? Do you just want to play the Nintendo sixty four mini games? Little things like that. It's like, oh, you know what? I am here for the nostalgia blast. I will do that. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, I. I Sorry, Jeremy. You uh, my first Mario Party was just the last one, Super Mario Party. So I was hearing all these people yep. about how disappointed they were and how bad the boards were compared oh. to previous years. I was like, I thought it was really fun, guys. I had fun. Super <laughs> Mario Party, also great fun. And you know what? Super Mario Party did better than any of the other Mario Parties, Jeremy. You know that tactical game mode where you could actually move in any direction on the board? I do not recall the- that. There's the so the two v two mode where instead of moving around the board like regular, you, the board actually becomes a grid. So you roll the dice and then you can move in any direction yeah. you want uh, on nice. the grid. So that, that is a nice sick. little yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, it's I, I, it, once you've exhausted Mario Party superstars and also like we did the same with Super Mario Party, the two of us for most of it. You probably get anywhere from, you know, 50 to 100 hours is a couple of games of the boards, unlock everything. And then, you know, you're picking it up every now and again. Uh, once you start to hit that point, pick up the last one. Um, there, there's just some some different game modes in there. I think because they were still trying to do something new as opposed to just referencing back to a lot of the older ones. Well, you know, again, as a huge fan of Mario Party 3, which had the dual mm. mode in it, um, which is a really unique mode, I would love to see more modes like that, which is why this uh, this grid-based thing that you're talking about sounds awesome to me. Um, with that being said, this game is extremely straightforward, but it gives you a lot of options, um, and I, I love that too. Also, the minigame selection is incredible. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I'm getting a a steal with a volleyball mini game that is as good as what is in this game. It's so good. I feel like I'm getting an extra game just from that uh, because it's so much fun. But, um, you know, the only thing that I find surprising, and I think at least my fingers are crossed, it it surprises me that you have these GameCube game uh, options, but you don't have any GameCube boards, right? Am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, I think the boards were just one, two, and three. Which, yeah, I when when they announced all the games, I was confused as well because I thought this was going to be a package of one, two, and three, um, because that's sort of what they were sort of angling. And it wasn't till closer to it coming out, I realized, yeah, it was all the GameCube stuff as well. I'm gonna be honest with you. If they were to release DLC that was just more boards, I would buy it yep. in a heartbeat because I love this game. I'm having a, a great time with it and more more boards is more of a reason for me to play more of this game excellent that is good to hear 
Uh, I'm glad we're a pro Mario Party yeah, gathering. And, uh, we all agree it, on something. If <laughs> if our timelines ever align, Nick, I uh, I would love to challenge you at. Uh, at no, that Mario. would be good. We should we should line something up. Yeah, that'd be great. Because yeah, the the online on it is quite fun too. Even just jumping in, doing you know some of the daily challenges and you know hitting the five mini games. I know. I mean, I oh, I was surprised to good. see that stuff too. I came across that. That was really neat. Um, but with that out of the way, I think we can get into our quests, right? And, uh, well, Nick and I kind of went through a little bit of Mario Party Superstars love, so I think it only makes sense for us to start off with Jeremy, uh, who is trailing a little bit behind, right, sir? Uh, yeah, my work schedule keeps getting in the way of recording time, so... Ah, that's Okay. Uh, back yeah, on the job board a little soft, farther back than you guys are, unfortunately. Soft, Jeremy. I know. You know, excuses. Got multi- multitask. <laughs> uh, so my quest, as of whenever was the last time I was on the show, uh, was an RPG with better side quests than the main narrative. And as soon as I got this quest, I knew exactly what game I was going to talk about, and I can continue my tradition of talking about Kemco at least once a week because the game I have in mind is Monochrome Order, which is. Just want to say is is again one of the Chemco games that I find myself um, curious in the most uh, often, at least. Uh, yeah. So, as I pointed out previously on the show, Chemco is a publisher, not a developer. Uh, they were a developer in years past, uh, but they just have a bunch of partners that they work with that they publish games for. So, most of the games you would think of as a Chemco game are developed by EXE Create. Uh, because they just churn out RPGs like they're candy, mm-hmm. um, and some are good and some are bad. And you know, if anybody ever needs recommendations, you know where to look. Uh, but Monochrome Order is built by one of their other frequent partners, Hitpoint Co. Uh, they come out with not nearly as many RPGs per year as EXE create, but they are pretty consistent. And Monochrome Order is actually one of their more unique titles. Uh, so the focus of the game, uh, from a story standpoint, is that you are in, you know, traditional JRPG medieval setting, and you are an arbiter, which is kind of a divinely appointed judge to help people solve their problems, and you'll work with kings and commoners and act as a judge to resolve disputes. The main storyline um, is a multiple endings, branching storyline, because your choices matter, uh, but the main storyline is actually pretty mundane uh, in terms of the way they implement the system. Uh, they do a pretty bad job about, well, good job, but a bad result of telegraphing to you what the good and bad choices are, um, where I think it would be a little bit more compelling if they just left it a mystery. Uh, but the real strength of the game, which applies to this quest, is the side quests, uh, because they're phenomenal. Um, so the whole judgment system that is built into this game, that is the side quest system, is you will be given a request, hey, we have this dispute, come solve it for us, and you walk into this situation, and you better have an opinion about the most troublesome moral and philosophical quandaries that have plagued humanity for hundreds and thousands of years, because that's what you're going to have to deal with. Uh, there are side quests where you have to make choices about euthanasia, about arranged marriages, about... Do you punish this person who has a criminal past who only got arrested because they did something good about people making choices that are good for the economy but bad for a small number of people? Um, whatever it may be. 
you're just thrown into these situations and you have to like interview certain villagers and some of the quests you can solve before you talk to everyone who is relevant. It's just phenomenal. So beyond just the choices, the choices that you make affect the game world. Um, there's three core stats that, uh, that affect the world around you. Uh, one is fame, which is how popular your character is. Uh, generally, if you're making good, upright moral choices, you're going to end up with high fame. And if you have high fame, you can recruit certain additional party members. Uh, there are certain party members that even after you've recruited them will only stick with you if you maintain a high level of fame. Uh, there is the economy, where choices you make from these side quests will make the economy of the world go up or down. And when the economy is up, the prices of weapons in items in stores goes down. Sometimes you will unlock new items and weapons in stores. Uh, sometimes you make an economic choice that causes a, to a store to close in a town, and those items, unique items in that store, are lost to you for the rest of the game. Uh, and the economy of the game is actually fairly restrictive. Um, you, If you just play through and you keep your economy level flat the whole time, you're going to be struggling to keep up with buying items and keeping your weapons upgraded and all that stuff. So it's to your benefit um, to increase the economy, but sometimes those choices mean doing something that may not be entirely moral. Uh, and then the last stat you can track over the game world through your choices is peace, which is um, are you allowing anarchy to reign or are you punishing criminals? Uh, if you allow, if you're more merciful, then the peace actually goes down, and you're more likely to get random encounters um, in the when you're roaming the world map, and you'll be attacked by bandits and all this whole thing. Okay, so it's actually got some decent implications on just your your ongoing play. Exactly. So depending on what choices yeah. you make, it affects the whole world, and it affects you very directly. Um, it affects you know what party members you get in your team and each party member like the party list gosh there's just so much <laughs> uh like well, let, let let it be known googling monochrome order i find monochrome order review by jeremy on switch rpg there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it yeah it's it's it does look a bit nicer than some of the chemco the other chemco ones and i, I get what you know there's they've got obviously the different developers under there I think I, I probably do need to sit down at some point, go through the list, send it to you, Jeremy, and you, I'm assuming, what, cross out all the the As Divine or whatever the heck it is games? I I've, There's so many of those on the Switch, I just keep getting confused and lost. Uh, well, if you actually look on Switch RPG just this week, uh, we published an article about the top 10 Kenko games on Nintendo ah, Switch. Ah, there it is. So you can get a nice set of recommendations. You know, again, to go back to what I was talking about uh, previously, which is the the weight of choice. Uh, that's really what appeals to me so much about this game, and so much about what you what you mention about the side quest system uh, that that is appealing. I, I think that that's right up my alley, and that's why this this game piques my interest so very much. Um, did you? Find, I mean, I know you reviewed the game, Jeremy. Did you ever return to it and make some different choices in terms of side quests and whatnot? Uh, well, when I first played the game, I actually played through it twice. I didn't quite make it to the end credits on my second playthrough, but I did kind of experiment because I wanted to see like how drastic. And I will say... I remember you saying something about that, too. Sorry. Yeah, I did come back to it a third time and was like, I'm going to make all the evil choices. Decided, I'm doing <laughs> it. Um, 
and it is wildly different, <laughs> uh, depending on going down the good route and going down the evil route, you know, where the story of the game ends up. It is, it is definitely unfortunate that, you know, the game so telegraphs to you what are the good and bad choices are, because it does such a good job of giving you difficult choices in all of the side quests, and then the main quest is just like, well, if you don't do this, you're a jerk. But yeah, like going through multiple playthroughs and seeing what different characters you end up with, there are a lot of different kind of party makeups and strategies you end up with. All your party members have elemental weaknesses and strengths, um, so you may find yourself without, you know, walking into an area with fire-themed enemies and you have no water characters. Or you may find yourself completely without any heal- healers whatsoever. Um, so the game does a really good job of, you know, managing its internal economy, not just from, like, items and weapons, but also in uh, the people. So that sounds highly cool recommended. Yeah. Highly, highly recommended. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, uh, I mean, that's, this is exactly the kind of answer that I would want from, uh, <laughs> well, this is the kind of answer that I would want for this, this quest. Um, I, I think this really, <laughs> this truly highlights what can be done with side quests and how often, well, it, it does bring to mind how often we tend to miss out on this on some bigger RPG releases, too. I mean, I, I find it surprising how how often big-budget RPGs don't lean into this uh, style of, of gameplay. But, of course, the bigger a game is, the more stuff that you've got to juggle. Um, and I think that w- one thing that Kemco does is they, they work with a bunch of developers who are very aware of their resources and are very good at managing their resources. And it makes so much sense to hear that this economy is, is really well balanced. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us, uh, Jeremy. I'm always happy to talk about Kenko games. <laughs> this I, this I do know. This I do know. Uh, Nick, do you want to go first? Do you want me to, uh, you want me to take this? No, ha- happy to, happy to go for it. Um, I had the quest of an RPG with bad gameplay, but an amazing story. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> so w- when, when I rolled this quest, I uh, an immediate answer came to head. I, I've got a particular game, and I will say this, it is probably one of the top five selling RPGs of all time. Oh. That I have picked up five times now. I cannot play it. It's... It was made in a time, uh, 2010, 2012, where gameplay was trying to become a little bit more realistic. And we've spoken before, I think, about the troubles I've had with, say, something like Grand Theft Auto, you know, non-arcade controls, more the expectation that, you know, you swing your sword. Oh, there's it actually takes half a second for something to happen because of the weight they're trying to put to it. For me, I'm not here for that. I, I like games. I like arcade responses. So for me, the game I've chosen is The Witcher 3. Hmm. Okay. And, and you know what? I, I don't even need to talk about how great the story is. It's got a, a bloody successful book series, a bloody successful Netflix series. There's an amazing series of lore and stories. And, you know, it's not that it's, I think for me, and I'll, I'll go on about the story first. You've got such a rich tapestry of, um, you know, Polish folklore, which, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys. I don't know a hell of a lot about Polish folklore. Um, but but to see, you know, creatures and things that I'm familiar with, elves, dwarves, vampires, gnomes, that kind of thing, interwoven with 
with creatures that I've I've never heard of, you know. And I and I've always considered I like the fantasy genre. I always like to read and and watch movies and shows, but just some of the creatures and and some of the stories and you know the just the overall world building in this is 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 ridiculous. I mean, it it comes from a novel series. I think there's seven or so books in the series. Um, I've I've got the audio book of the first book um, sitting on my phone ready to go um, for when I get back to work. So something to listen to um, if I commute, but I don't think I will be commuting. So that won't happen. Um, but yeah, there, there's just, there's so much there. And I, I don't know if either of you have dabbled in the game, watched the show, read the books. Uh, I mean, I've watched the show. I, I actually <laughs> uh, cut, cut into some of my RPG time over the break uh, yep. to catch up on uh, the uh, season two, which I liked yep. uh, quite a bit, but I've not read any of the books. I've heard, you know, I mean, obviously, oh gosh, this trilogy is is renowned and and celebrated in the gaming community uh, for for better and or and or for worse. Um, so, you know. I- and I think my, my problem is like, I've only really tried to get into the Witcher three, probably in the last two years. It, it's a, it's a 10 year old game. Now it's like even going back to breath of the wild. Now, you know, it was when it came out groundbreaking, but so many things have advanced beyond that, that stepping back to it, it just feels a bit clunky and outdated and not in a good way of, Oh, this is charming, but in a way of, we just do this so much better now. And, and, and that's me. It, it's it's the core gameplay. It's not even just, oh, I don't like these mechanics of how you've got to interact. It's actually just navigating the world. It's the combat. It's interacting with NPCs, you know. It, it's just little things like you walk, you turn left. Oh, oh, look, Geralt's got to swing an arc because that's how an actual human turns around, which means I've just completely overshot the NPC I'm trying to talk to and then spend 30 seconds trying to line up and face them directly. Um, so... Uh, and I, when you're when yeah. you're talking gameplay, you mean controls? I mean, do you also mean combat? I, is a I, I, also the the co- the combat? It's 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 fairly you know it's a bit like Breath of the Wild. It's pretty much just swing your sword. You've got a couple of little basic things you can do, but because it's so simple, and I'll probably be eaten alive for this because I haven't gotten into the game more than you know six or seven hours, and I'll flag I've done that three or four times, gotten into the game six or seven hours. Um, it's just it, it controls it, it's slow you know it's the the reaction times are quite slow the the ability to to change on the fly what you're doing to target someone so yeah i'm a bit all over the place. It, it's it's navigation it's combat um it, it's it's really just those basic core mechanics that i have an issue with everything that's wrapped around it i've you know absolutely love i think let alone you know the story and the law that's there but the world, um, the you know the the equipment upgrading, it, you know the mechanics of actually upgrading your weaponry and everything like that is all quite quite nice. It's not great, but there's no no real issues with it. It is purely the most purest of gameplay, just navigating the world, interacting with the world that I that I have issues with, and I think it is a me issue um, because I had the exact same problem with Grand Theft Auto Five, which. I, I get the exact same feeling from when I try to play. And and I, I, I think there's just, there's a period there of about 2010 to, you know, 2015 where I was not playing a lot of Western games. Anything I was playing was probably a handheld game or, you know, on, on the Wii. 
um, sorry, some, something just skipped over me as games evolved in that direction and my brain's just never caught up to it. I can certainly understand the sentiment of like, you've tried to break into this game multiple times and just walking away. Sometimes that just means the game's not for you. Um, I've certainly had that experience and sometimes like, it takes that many times coming back to the game of like, why do I keep coming back to this game? Can it, it, I exactly. And I, I feel something is going, I, I want something to click because the story and, you know, you've watched the show, Evan. Um, so Witcher 3 takes place. I, I don't know the actual time frame, but from based on what I know is going on in the game and what's happened in the show, it, it's, it's a fair bit after um, where we currently are in the show. Right. So, I, you know, I'm already intrigued because things have happened from the show that I'm seeing in game. And that's that's investing me. I, you know, oh, why is this character now in this situation? Because based on everything I know from the show, that seems, you know, illogical. Um, so there's, there's there's a hell of a lot there. And, you know, maybe I should go back to Witcher 1 and Witcher 2 and, and see what, what the gameplay is like there. Maybe there will be something there that, that captures me. Um, and then I think might pull me past my gripes with... Um, just just the basics of this game yeah i mean you know it's it's weird to me too because in terms of western developed rpgs there Mm. there isn't some sort of unifying mechanics um in i i I don't even really want to call it a genre because it's not right no Uh, but there there's there aren't mechanics that unite uh, these sorts of games in the way that a lot of Japanese RPGs uh, are, are united. No. Um, I guess maybe the only exception you might uh, make for, for this is like real time with pause, which isn't something that you see broadly sweeping, you know, across all Western RPGs either. So, you know, I, people have told me about playing this game and enjoying this game. And mm. I, I, I'm almost daunted uh, or I, I I, 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 yeah. I don't want to get into I think it with, because yeah, there are systems for me to learn. Right, this is this is a very different style of game, and I think that yeah. part of getting into it is becoming accustomed to that learning curve. And, and that's probably part of it because it it doesn't have those arcadey you know roots and by arcade i just mean sort of snappy you know everything is quick to action that kind of thing like something like Skyrim. That, that, that plays completely differently. You know, you go left, you go right, you, you go up to a character, you interact, it's fairly straightforward. Right, yeah. There's not sort of a, an onus of trying to put realism into how you interact with the character you're playing as. Yeah, I, I get that completely. Um, and, and, and I think that that's probably my main issue with the gameplay is just fundamentally how, how it all controls and how you navigate the world. And e- even little things like, you know, riding Roach, the horse, um it's just a bit clunky yeah um and but like i said i've come back to it four times now i own this on the switch i own this twice on the pc because i bought it on whatever i bought it on the epic game store then realized that their cross save doesn't work with the switch so i went and bought it again on gog (laughs) um so i you know i i'm i'm actually going out of my way to try and get myself to play this because (laughs) it really does entice me and it's one of the few games where I've actually sat there and, you know, looked up YouTube videos of just the game law of, of the previous games. I, I don't do that. And I've sat here just sort of listening on YouTube to, 
you know, breakdowns of the previous games and, and some of the story beats to um, fill in. So it's, yeah, it, it, it frustrates me, this one, because I really want to enjoy it. It's a bit like, I think, Jeremy, uh, sorry, Evan, you and I might have talked very early on when we talked, I think the first time I spoke about Path of Exile. Yeah. Um, or, or Pillars of Eternity. I forget that it's Poe. Um, but it's that same, you know, everything about it speaks to me, but just I don't wake up wanting to play it. Yeah. And I, and I can't quite <laughs> put why that is other than there's just... It's not fun to play, well, but everything else is fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know why that is. I, I don't like real time with pause personally, but that's yep. that's yep. a me problem, and uh, <laughs> it's a shame because there's a lot of great, uh, mm. very well written games out there that utilize that system. So I feel like I'm missing out. But uh, I mean, yeah, I, I get this, and I think it's I I think it's very unfortunate. <sighs> I, I guess it makes sense to me why maybe this developer wanted to move away mechanically from this series too, to make something maybe more accessible to people because... Which is interesting because I really liked Cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found I found the controls of Cyberpunk. I found the world, the gameplay, the nav- everything was, was ticking boxes for me other than my PlayStation 4 falling to bits every time I tried to play it. But Right, yeah. Um, well, but I, you know, this... The Witcher trilogy has kind of garnered this reputation of being this great RPG series, but mm. we also need to understand that RPGs, I mean, save for a, a select few, are not mainstream, right? So the the audience who exactly. is maybe saying that sort of thing was maybe willing to overlook some of the elements that make it a little bit uh, irksome to play. Um, I think that's that's part of the part of what we do as RPG and enthusiasts in a whole lot of ways uh, and i yeah. just dropped my phone that answer makes me feel a little bit better about why i haven't picked this game up yet yeah and it it hurts me and uh, i would not be surprised 12 months from now if i've tried to pick it up once or twice again um because i know i'll probably do a rewatch of season two um sometime later this year it'll probably make me pick the game up again I've made a point of keeping it installed on my Switch. I've got it downloaded on my computer and I don't have a lot of hard drive space um, purely so that the day I wake up and want to play it, I will play it and there'll be no roadblocks. So Here's one day. Yeah, I, know. Yes. I had the reverse problem. Anyway, I had the reverse yeah. problem with Final Fantasy VIII where I was like, I was intrigued by the systems and the story was yep. killing me. And eventually I broke through and finished it. I think I talked about it on the show. Um, I'm hopeful that you can find the thing you love about it because it is, you know, a wildly praised RPG and I hope that it ends up being enjoyable for you. Uh, but so I think last one here is Evan. I am. I am the last one here, at least before we get into our roles, which I know you're very much looking forward to, Jeremy. I hope you guys roll low and I roll high. That's, that's what I'm wishing for. (laughs) Uh, so I really want to get through this topic pretty quickly because I'm hoping that this is Something that I can maybe uh, retract my sentiment uh, for as we move later into this month. So that should give you maybe a little bit of a hint at what I'm going to be talking about. I could approach uh, my quest, which is a retro RPG that does one thing better than modern releases. I could approach this from a variety of different perspectives. I thought about talking about co-op and how some older uh, Tales games and 
Uh, uh, Mana games uh, have had great co-op systems that more recent games have not. Um, you know, I, I thought a little bit about some other gameplay elements uh, and really maybe I was on the fence about leaning one way or, or the other, uh, but part of what Jeremy talked about earlier uh, really struck a chord with me. And so I'm going to go uh, with with one particular topic, which is retro RPGs knew how to optimize their text boxes. And if I wanted to throw this back to a particular uh, retro RPG, I would go so far as to uh, say that the Game Boy Advance, well, actually, eh, I'm not even going to say Game Boy Advance. I'm going to say Game Boy Color uh, RPGs like Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal were great at not wasting my time with text boxes. Um, I find a lot of RPG releases uh, nowadays to be bloated in terms of storytelling. And I think that's part of the, the genre trapping, right? We're always trying to tell a really epic story. And sometimes the only way we know how to do that is with a lot of text. Um, but I think that great storytelling can sometimes come from a economic use of character dialogue, of uh, even scenarios that we get to see unfold. And it's it also comes down to picking the right scenarios to focus on. Um, I don't care about uh, how your character feels blushy crushy for another character. <laughs> that doesn't really add a whole lot to the, the world building. Uh, it doesn't explain a whole lot to me about things. Um, and honestly, sometimes with economic writing, you don't need to do a whole lot of world building. Uh, if you convincingly present a world and convincingly have a narrative unfold uh, that, that keeps your player engaged in the pace of gameplay, but also in the pace of, of narrative, I think you do just fine. So I might be a little bit biased um, in terms of pacing, because again, I kind of cut my teeth on a lot of portable RPGs, your Dragon Warrior monsters, your Pokemon. Yep. Um, but even some of my my favorite uh, RPGs, I mean, I, I still think that another great retro example uh, are the Paper Mario games, which have a lot of flavorful dialogue, but they don't lean too heavily into uh, being overly serious or over overly verbose. Um, and... I, I miss this about some RPGs nowadays, and that's why some of these shorter RPGs appeal to me almost because I know I won't be dealing with a whole lot of text boxes. Um, but I want to toss it over to you guys. I mean, I think that this really does strike uh, home <laughs> to a reason that we do pick up shorter RPGs, but uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, no, I think I agree with you on that. I think the limitation, you know, cartridge limitations of Days of Yore um, really forced them to be economical with the way they wrote their scripts. So it's particularly translating from Japanese into English, you know, you can fit a lot more story in Japanese characters than you can in English characters. Right. Um, so there's something really charming and refreshing. And again, I feel like the theme of the day, economical, um, 
about classic JRPGs, and now we have comparatively unlimited storage for text, and so you just get this deluge of content, um, which is often more fluff than substance. <clears throat> yeah, and fluff is it? Fluff is a really good word for it too, um, because there 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 is meaningful world building, and I can I can recall several you know side quests that I've experienced in more modern RPGs where I've been like, this really helps uh, add complexity to this narrative or or to this world or or sheds light on another element of this world. Uh, in a way that some of this fluffy stuff really doesn't. Uh, Nick, thoughts? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I was just having a think about it and definitely like, you know, my early RPGs, you know, Pokemon on the Game Boy, but then a lot of what I was playing, things like Diablo, um, Morrowind on PC, because they all use a lot of vertical text boxes, mm-hmm. um, you know, your, your side window. So there was always a hell of a lot of text going on. Um and so I guess for me, I've always been used to quite a, a chunk of text there. But then thinking back to about, you know, what, 10, 10 years ago when consoles started to move to HD, there was a lot of rumbling around text boxes being, uh, or the text size essentially being unreadable on certain TVs due to, or older TVs and, you know, compared to HD TVs. Um, but no, I think, yeah, you just sort of had this weird transition of, because even like I'm sorry, I'm just thinking out loud now. Looking back to the Nintendo 64, in your Final Fantasies, there wasn't a lot of text going on, but it was always a lot nicer to read. And I probably did find myself actually reading it, and probably for the reasons you're saying, Evan, there's just it's a more it's it's more concise. Um, there's just you know less that they can put on screen, so they put on what is what is important. Whereas currently, I'm sort of playing through Trails of Cold Steel Four, <laughs> and. You know, I, yeah, that's that's actually maybe uh, the, yeah, the that's the antithesis yeah, of what so we're talking about. I, I, I'm finding myself enjoying that there's the option for having so much there when there's certain story beats that I'm engaged in. You know, certain side quests that are actually captivating me, certain story beats. But when it's just, you know, oh, we need to go over here, and here's a bit of background as to why. There's just so many text boxes to go through. Um, but then sometimes I find that relaxing. Like I said earlier, I'm playing the great Ace Attorney Chronicles at the moment, which is 95% text boxes. But that's also, you know, you could argue... Yeah, not, a, not a lot of text on screen. It is back to sort of the, the simpler, sharper writing. Um, yeah. I, I, and I think that, again, economic writing does is a thing. And, you know, you know the great ace attorney that's an adventure game arguably you can mm. say it's a it's a visual novel so you have different sorts of expectations too going into that sort of game. yeah but but it, it, it does keep the writing short and like i said economical um which is probably what what is intriguing me and you know especially late at night when i'm half asleep on the couch um it, it, it's quite good that it is so concise um yeah it's it's something i can it's not you know thinking to read read through the text in something like you know even the witcher when you start throwing in or even trails of cold steel 4 when you start throwing in such you know let's just call it university writing where every second word is fluff for the sake (laughs) of you know grandiose and 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 just expanding on what's being said there's just so much to gloss over and i think mentally you just start to gloss over everything 
Um, whereas when it is concise and short and economical, you do focus and you go, well, hang on, you know, 90% of these words here are relevant to me. And I'm, the, I'm, I'm more engaged. The last thing that I would say too, is that sometimes a lack of text allows us to project our uh, perspectives, our feelings of a character uh, onto that character. And to go back to Pokemon specifically, you know, I've I've been very forward about saying this previously, but I hate these new games where the where the characters are like, oh well, you know, after I saw you do this with your Pokemon, I realized this is what the power of friendship really does, and this, that, or the <laughs> other. And yeah, really, in those older games, you're accomplishing a very specific objective, and the way that you perform that objective, the way that you accomplish that objective says volumes about the kind of person that you are not yeah. only as a player but as a, who who your avatar is as well but well even if we take it to pokemon red and blue something very simple there like you're you know you're going in the town where the Silphco is effectively you speak to someone they're like oh our leader's missing you go through Silphco, you go through this whole dungeon all the bad guys are just saying ha we'll stop you but then you get there and there's the head of you know what was the pokemon club next door is the president of silfco you know there's just little things that they're not explaining it's just you've got to do so much more visually and contextually right and the last example that i'll i'll give is again sometimes with the economic use of of text boxes and and what have you that also encourages developers to come up with new ways to tell stories too and we see that best in something like the opera sequence in Final Fantasy VI, where they want to continue to tell the story of a character in a unique way that merges music and, and orchestration and, you know, yep. uh, composition uh, in a way that is, is really satisfying. And I wish that more games had that ambition to tell stories in ways other than text rather than mm. uh, feeling the need to constantly throw text at people. Um, yeah, well, now that would just be a cutscene. <laughs> yeah. A 15-minute cutscene. Oh, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, but with that being said, I think we can move on. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to go back to our quest board. Uh, and we're uh, obviously, of course, in going back to our quest board, that means we definitely have our dice ready in front of us. Right, gentlemen? Uh, let, I've I've written my equals rand between 1,6 in Excel ready to go. <laughs> I forgot my dice. So we're good to go. I'm good. I was just stalling for time because I needed to get mine myself. I'll, I'll hit enter on the keyboard very dramatically so we can hear that instead of the dice roll. Uh, well, considering I just finished up with my quest, uh, I don't know. Do you do you want to do you want to roll this in a in a different way? You want to start Nick and then Jeremy and then uh, uh, let, let's let Jeremy go yeah, yeah, so yeah, he sure. can you know he can, you know get ahead of he, us and feel like he can feel like he's made a lot of progress before we. <laughs> well, as I say, he 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 physically can't get ahead of us so. <laughs> all right here we go <laughs> it's a one awesome uh so that puts me <laughs> on an rpg character you resonated with all right well we need to Excellent. roll and then do jobs right all right 
I will prepare my enter key and enter. I have generated a four. One, two, three, four. An underrated JRPG that you've played. Cool. Uh, well, I guess that is going to mean that I will roll. Oh, oh yeah. I got a natural six, baby, which means I am bouncing all the way up to three, four, five, six. An RPG with unique narrative devices. Man, I shouldn't have just rec uh, referenced Final <laughs> Fantasy VI, right? I'm shooting myself in the foot here. All right. Well, you know what? I think I am going to use my job ability. Oh, here we go. Uh, I am going to... Oh, who do I want to steal from? I feel like I want to steal... I could steal from either of you and, and enjoy myself, but um, I think I'm actually going to go with... Yeah, I, I I I don't resonate with any characters in RPGs, so I'm gonna I'm gonna steal uh, an underrated JRPG that I have played. Anybody have any thoughts? All right, I think I've had four narrative-based quests in a row now. <laughs> I I need to do another enemy encounter before I can use my power again. But we haven't seen alchemy yet. Ah, uh, yes. No, I'm just I'm thinking about that. Um, so what have we got here? An RPG with a character you resonated resonated with. Underrated JRPG. You've played RPG with a unique narrative device. So how could you even... Do narrative? Character narrative? Underrated character? Oh, that could be... I think you just yeah, right. shouldn't. Ev Evan. No. No. Do it. Do it. <laughs> An underrated JRPG character you resonated with. Wait, Wait, that's I, combining uh, all three. <laughs> oh, is it? Whoops. I'm I'm confused because we haven't swapped the letters around. Uh, uh, they're all moved. Wait, where? They're all moved. Okay, where am I? I'm here. All right. No, good point. Okay, I've got to combine yours and mine. All right. I've so it'd be an yep. underrated oh, JRPG with unique narrative devices. Oh. No, that seems boring. <laughs> Let's go with a unique RPG character. Can I do that? We got rid of the... No, because we need the narrative bit, don't we? I don't think it can work. Hey. I, I'm going to let it slide. You're free, Evan. Yes! <laughs> One day. One day. One day there'll be the perfect... Can I, can I do it? I'll do an enemy encounter with something that'll be nice for the number 30. Play something with some random... <laughs> yeah yeah that that'll be a good one um all right okay well i guess that that's the way the cookie crumbles so shall we shall we plug yeah we should plug uh who's gonna be plugging i don't know evan you feel like you want to plug. i'll let you <sighs> do plug. i okay all it. right well yeah. Uh, listen, we, we're all over the place. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on some other places too, but if you listen to us on there, uh, then you know better than I do where we are. Uh, you can, of course, hit us up at uh, RPG PodQuest. We're trying to 
uh, increase our our social media presence. That means we're gonna ask some more questions, pull some more things, maybe uh, post some more artwork and music as well. But that's at RPG Podquest on Twitter. I believe we're also going to be extending uh, out into the Instagram space uh, in the near future as well. But uh, I'll I'll have a, a more definitive handle for you when that comes to pass. Uh, you can of course please feel free to send us email about our quests, about our answers to quests, about our feelings about RPGs um, at uh, rpgpodquests at gmail.com. And of course, we're on Twitter, even though some of us are strangely quiet on Twitter. I don't understand how Twitter works yet. I'm still trying to work that out. It confuses me. You just tweet. But only you three, you two will see it. So. <laughs> well, eventually someone. Well, else you use hashtags, it. and it ends up in other people's feeds. And then if you write something that's, you know, you, you kids and your technologies, yeah, yeah. Write something well, compelling. Maybe someone gives you a like or a follow. Although what I have learned, Evan, is that you play Wordle. <laughs> and we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> I do. It's true. I do play Wordle. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that has been a lot of my Twitter posting recently. And you can find <laughs> you can find my Wordle streaks at RPGSEB. Uh, Jeremy, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me all across social media at RPG underscore writer. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Wattpad. Although my TikToks I haven't posted in like a month. But that's going to pick up again soon now that the holidays are over. All right. Sounds uh, good. But- I'm all over the place. I post about both gaming, RPGs, and uh, my own creative writing. So if any of that interests you, give me a follow. Which has been some great stuff. I uh, I particularly uh, enjoyed your time travel invitation uh, RSVP uh, short story. <laughs> Very much. Very cool. Um, and Nick, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me and my first ever tweet at RPG Nick. With two eyes in oh, Nick. I, I bet I bet your first tweet will be like a super hot take. No, it's my it's today's wordle. Oh. <laughs> okay. Alright. Yeah, that that's fair. Um all right. Well, uh with that being said, gentlemen, I think we need to head off on our next quests. So uh to all of you out there uh who are listening, thank you so very much. We hope you've had a great new year and we hope you're excited about the year to come. See ya!